Sometimes, the best stories in golf aren't found on tour. You'll find them at the back of the range. And now, your host, Ben Adelberg. Welcome to the Back of the Range Golf Podcast. I am your host, Ben Adelberg. This is episode 71. Hope you all are having a great week, finally coming down from the high of the Masters, but are looking forward, just like I am, to the PGA Championship next month. Yes, with the reshuffle of the majors, we now have the PGA next month, the U.S. Open in June at Pebble Beach, and then we're off to the Open Championship in Portrush in July. We're going to hop into this week's episode relatively quickly, but please remember to continue following us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. We have some exciting episodes and announcements heading your way in the upcoming weeks. And following us online, well, that's a great way to get all of the vital information about the podcast before anyone else does. Another thing to do, if you haven't already, please leave a review in Apple Podcast. When you do that, screenshot it, post it on Instagram, and tag us, and I'll send you a free Back of the Range Golf Podcast golf towel. Just another way to thank you all for listening to the podcast. And in these reviews, say what you like, what you don't like, and more importantly, what kinds of guests you would like to see in the future. All the links to our social media channels, the website where you can buy shirts and hats and all sorts of merch, that's at thebackoftherange.com. And remember, all those links, that's available too in the show notes of this episode. This week's episode puts a nice little bow on the Masters as well as last year's U.S. Amateur at Pebble Beach. In fact, this episode now completes the foursome, so to speak, that were inside the ropes for the U.S. Amateur Final. The final match was between Victor Hovland of Oklahoma State and Devin Bling of UCLA. Both of those guys were guests of the podcast just a few weeks ago. Alan Bratton, the head coach at Oklahoma State Men's Golf, well, he was on Victor's bag for the U.S. Amateur, and he was a guest earlier in Season 1. So that leaves Devin Bling's caddy. Well, Andrew Larkin wasn't just his caddy at the USAM, wasn't just his caddy a couple weeks ago at the Masters, but he's also the assistant coach of UCLA men's golf. And he's our guest this week at the back of the range. We spoke about his experience playing collegiately at Occidental College, playing professionally on the Latin America Tour, and most recently, his experience working with the UCLA team as they get ready for regionals, being on the bag for Devin at the USAM, being on the bag at the Masters, and what lies ahead for him on and off the golf course. So we're going to hop right in. Coach Larkin, thanks so much for joining us at the back of the range. Thank you. Yeah, thank you for very much for having me. Uh, looking forward to talking a little golf with you. Oh, absolutely. Well, you know, we're, we're recording this the Tuesday after the Masters, and you have had just a, an absolutely incredible week uh, for for our listeners that got to listen to our previous episode of Devin Bling. Uh, he's the U.S. Amateur runner-up from from last year, got him the berth to the Masters, and you were on the bag with him at Augusta National the entire week. So uh, before we talk about your playing career, your coaching career, and a f- handful of other things, physically, how are you feeling? <laughs> Definitely a little tired, um, for sure. I mean, it's it's a tough walk. I mean, Augusta is uh, a really hilly venue, and 
it's pretty humid, especially for us, you know, on the West Coast where we don't have any humidity. Just to be walking around in it like Devin experienced all week, it's a huge change of condition. It takes a lot out of your body. And then to throw in, you know, a pretty thick white jumpsuit all week, uh, definitely got in a good sweat. But getting adjusted back to the time here, you know, we had to get up pretty early on Sunday for the tea time adjustment. And then uh, both of us caught the first flight out on Monday. So we're uh, he's trying to get caught up on school and I'm trying to get caught up on a little bit of sleep and with everything with our team going into Pac-12s. Yeah. And you know, what's great is that your, your team, while you were away and while Devin was away and I know Devin's a, a, you know, starter on the, on the, you know, he's in the starting five, you know, your, your team really is, is really ramping up for the PAC 12 championship. I know that they, you know, picked up a, a couple wins in a row. I know the Seattle university tournament, I know that Devin did play in that. And then just the next tournament in Wyoming, um, the Wyoming classic, you win that you have two individuals that go back to back, so I can't imagine that UCLA men's golf could could get any better or any hotter. What are some of the things with your coaching that you and 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 head coach Freeman are trying to go ahead and do pushing into the into the Pac-12 championship? Yeah, you know, for us right now, I think it's uh, definitely a reflection of you know where our program has come uh, back in the last few years. I mean, I, I think you know one of the biggest things we've really tried to focus on is getting the depth in our roster. So when we have events like this. And we have other guys that are able to step in and, you know, make a huge difference for our team. And that's really what we had in Arizona last week to go in, you know, without Devin and certainly with, you know, some of the distractions that come with having one of your teammates playing in the Masters to get a win early in the week and then play really well in our second event, finish third at uh, Arizona State event in one of the best fields in the country, beat Oklahoma State. Yeah. is the number one team in the country there. Uh, really proud of the boys. And I think, you know, for us, it's been really trying to refine our guys' skill. We pushed them pretty hard in the month of March, and they had some pretty strenuous requirements that they had to hit, um, you know, kind of wanting them to find a little bit of a balance academically being a quarter school in March is always, you know, a balancing act for us since we need to make sure they can prep for finals and do everything they need to to succeed academically while still giving them requirements that they need to. So we did a lot of distance testing work, um, you know, certainly some on-course work with the guys in March. And I think that really kind of got them into shape going into the beginning of April. And, um, you know, for us, that's kind of what we're focusing on now. We had a, a little bit of on-course team games today, um, you know, kind of going through the last little bit of refining any equipment that we need our guys to have going to Pac-12s. And then it's certainly going to be, you know, really going to a tournament like that, take care of your body, um, really get to understand the goal golf course well at Eugene Country Club and uh, it's 36 18 18 so getting our guys in the right mindset knowing that you can make a couple mistakes early and certainly you have a huge amount of holes in front of you to rally back so keep building on the momentum we've already started and uh, you know hope all the guys can you know do everything they need to keep their games and their bodies in check for uh, the marathon of golf that's about to come when you talk about, you know, on course testing or, you know, working the guys really hard on the course with, with distance uh, drills or, or short game drills, you know, without getting into, you know, the entire specifics of your, the ideology of your, of your coaching uh, or, or UCLA's program, can you maybe just give listeners an example of one of the things you put the team through that maybe an, an amateur can then translate into their own game, whether or not they're just trying to, you know, shave a couple shots off their game, or if they're getting ready for a tournament or maybe a member guest, maybe an example, if you can provide one. 
Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, one of the things for us, and I think one of the big changes to college golf with the addition of technology in the last decade is something even as simple as, you know, throwing our guys onto a track man and getting them to go through a full combine there, which is it's a 60 shot test that you go through different distance and accuracy testing on a track man and through the track man app. And to, you know, for us, we can provide our players with immediate feedback so they can know exactly where they are, what their distance is um, and accuracy. And it translates to a score. So that's a really easy one for us to do, especially when we need to find time where our guys can go do something individually on their own. Um, and we set a different standard for it. So the standard gets a little bit harder throughout the year. And then, um, you know, for us in college golf, I think the two other big areas certainly are course management, making sure that we're playing to the probabilities for the most part that our guys are leaving themselves um, on the correct side of the hole. So playing where the next shot's going to be easiest. So if they miss a shot, have the easier of the up and down, whether that means being chipping uphill or have the most green to work with, and then certainly dialing in their wedges. That was a huge focus in March sure. for us, knowing we were going into to courses where we were going to be able to hit driver and we we're going to get away with a lot, but making sure our guys with the scoring clubs in their hands were focused. So doing a lot of distance testing, both with track man and on the golf course with their wedges to make sure that uh, when they had one of those in their hand, that the next shot they were going to have is certainly a makeable putt. Sure. Well, you know, the thing I, before we get into some of the other things you've been doing in this past couple of weeks and, and, and even going as far back to the USAM at Pebble beach where you were on the bag, uh, for Devin there, um, you know, you, you've been playing golf for quite some time and, and you, you played at Occidental college out in LA. So you've been there for quite some time. You know, you had a great career there. Um, you know, it's a D three school and I guess my question is, I know you turned pro after college. What led you to decide to turn pro coming out of, out of Occidental? Yeah, for me, I mean, you know, I was lucky to be a pretty good athlete in two sports. So in addition to, to golf, I also played college soccer. And, um, you know, for, that's one of the main reasons I ended up at a Division three school and at, at Occidental. I wanted to play multiple sports in college, and I had a chance going in through the recruiting process to play either division one golf um, or division one soccer, but was really had my heart set on playing both. So that's kind of what took me down the road to get to a school like Oxy. And um, you had a great career there playing both and, you know, really excelled on the golf side, being all conference all four years and winning multiple events. And, um, you know, I knew when I was finishing school that my game was nowhere near what it could be, but I'd already had, you know, success on, a good level on college as well as amateur golf outside of it. So I really wanted to see, you know, where I could take myself. So I was lucky to have the chance to turn pro and played uh, full-time for three years while I was the head men's and women's golf coach at Oxy, which kind of provided me a little bit of a security blanket in terms of finances and be able to pay for everything, plus sure. places to practice and all of that. Um, and it was something I love. I had a great time and had, you know, good career playing on the mini tours and down in PGA Tour Latin America. And uh, still lucky was able to parlay that into joining the PGA of America, where I still play, you know, competitively now. Yeah. And, you know, you mentioned, you know, you mentioned the mini tours, you mentioned PGA Tour Latin America. I mean, this is kind of around, I guess, 2012, 2013, when you, when you turn pro, you know, it seems like the PGA tour has really promoted the web and even the Latin America tour, McKenzie, they're promoting their, their lower tier tours a little bit better now. Was that always the case back in 2013? What was your experience playing in Latin America? 
Yeah, it definitely was very new and up and coming. Right. Um, you know, I think I thought Latin America, it was only the first couple of years of the tour and they ran it pretty well. Um, but I would still say, I mean, you'd like you would expect, I mean, a lot of different languages down in Latin America and they really had it, you know, come to the point where they were going to do everything to make it easier for Americans to come down there. So, I mean, for me not speaking Spanish, <laughs> I kind of had to find the travel buddies that could just to get around a lot of the places. And then, um, I mean, one of my favorite experiences which is a little bit hectic and crazy. I played in the first Q school when the PJ tour bought the McKenzie tour and decided to relaunch it. And it was kind of just, um, you know, a cluster of a Q school where they're trying to make everything up. It's not like they have it now with five or six different sites. We had, you know, 312 guys at one golf course oh, going for like 40 cards and, um, our second or third round, we had a weather delay and they, they were having trouble communicating with everyone. So you had all 312 guys show up for an 8 a.m. restart and had to find space on the range. They ran out of range balls and, um, it was just a whole crazy mess where they were still in the process of trying to figure it out and get their staff in place. Um, but you know, they've done a great job since then kind of coming in along and developing it, but definitely getting to to be on those tours um, and play through Q schools with them while they were trying to figure it out certainly made for some, uh, some funny experiences and from some growth from my end, as well as on the PGA tours end. Now I know you're there trying to chase the dream of making it to the PGA tour and you're, you're going that route. Um, were there cons- what was a time that you were there playing the Latin America tour where you just found yourself in a country or at a time where you're just thinking to myself, what am I doing here? um definitely a few i mean we had a good one in brazil um i forget what year it was but you know we we were down uh actually sorry in argentina and we we were rained out and you know for us you know and a couple of the other players i was staying i shared a room with another player from california um the golf course was you know about 20 or 30 minutes from us and we ended up playing almost 54 holes in about 36 hours to catch up to everything oh, and, wow. um you know we had we had to worry and really start making choices like you know i don't know if i'm gonna be able to finish in time to get over and catch my international flight so now we're talking you know will the check be worth the 1200 and um you know we have a shuttle driver from our hotel who's saying, well, if you guys need to get there at 5 a.m., I won't drive you because I don't want to go through certain areas. Um, then you really start to think like, wow, this is this is not everything it seems to be cracked up to be on the outside here. Uh, really got to start making choices. So um, definitely some experiences like that. But, you know, I think the camaraderie you get with the other pros you're with, and especially if you got to go with some of your friends, getting to go through some of those funny experiences or things, you know, in the moment can be a little nuts and hectic, but looking back on now, certainly, you know, created some great bonds and some great memories. Yeah. You know, I, I see these guys that are coming out of college or, you know, I've, I've spoken to professionals that are, are on the mini tours or they're on the web and you got, I mean, every single year, there's another crop of college players all over the country. Those are just the ones that you may know of, you know, like a Devin Bling or a Victor Hovland or a Matt Wolf or, you know, Justin Suh, you know, I mean, you have all these names that you know, and then there's hundreds and hundreds of other names that you've never heard of that are trying to do the exact same thing. I guess, you know, I don't, I, I don't really have a question more so as <laughs> just, you know, how, how do you work with your college players and when the time comes, how do you get them prepared to make that decision knowing what you know? 
Absolutely. Yeah. It's trying to give them, you know, the best advisement and maybe where to go. Cause I think the biggest thing is when you turn pro, you really need to be in a place where you're going to have a chance to play a lot of events. You know, I think the, the Monday qualifying route certainly works for some players, but I think for, unless you're already at a place where you succeed at a very high level and you know what it's like to do that, you, know, you really need to go and play events, whether it's mini tours, um, you know, for some of our players and going to the summer, if they don't have, uh, if they can't qualify for PG Tour Latin America or Canada and they don't want to play, you know, like the Golden State Tour or Pepsi Tour, doing something like I did uh, maybe the summer of 2014, I went up to play all the state opens on the East Coast. So getting to go kind of create a full schedule where you could go from, you know, Massachusetts to New Hampshire to Vermont and play all of those. So you're playing in events that are relatively cheap and affordable, but have pretty good purses because they're well sponsored. Go to places where you know you can get reps in and really learn how to play this game at a high level because it's definitely different than college you need to have the ability to shoot significantly under par where in college golf for the most part if you shot you know one under even at really high level tournaments all year you have a decent chance to be an all-american at professional golf and especially at a place like the web I mean, if you shoot, you know, four or five under, you might miss a cut. Of course. So you really needed to learn how to go refine it um, ultimately. So it's really keeping our guys' expectations in check. And then, you know, one thing I thought I did really well with myself was kind of create a long-term plan. Like, don't just go into it being like, I need to go succeed or fail immediately. You know, give yourself a window. So for me, you know, I kind of created a checklist of goals I had to hit in my first three years. And if I didn't hit, I think like 75% of those goals, then I, I was going to call it quits just because like you said, if I can't grow my game and succeed at a decent level after three years, that's now three more years of players I got to contend with, not just in college, but all over the world. Right. Um, so really keeping something in perspective like that, where you can have realistic goals, set a timetable with your friends and your family where financially it's suitable to you to go forward, but certainly keep, you know, what you need to accomplish by the end of that, that window to make sure that, you know, you're growing as a player and that you're not just staying the same. Cause if you're staying the same, there's going to be a ton more kids that are trying to take your job. Yeah. And the problem with golf is that while that sounds all very prudent and very intelligent and very responsible, you know, as well as everyone else does is that you can actually go to a, like, I, I believe this happened to Martin Trainer. He just went to a web Monday, just kind of like, yeah, I'll, I'll sign up for this thing. Then he goes ahead and gets in and wins it. And then he's off to the races with a couple web wins. And now he's on the PGA tour that's kind of one thing about our game. You know, it's not, you don't see any 32 year old guys, you know, thinking, yeah, I, I'll, I still have the dream of the NBA still alive or, yeah, yeah, I think, I think I can still play quarterback in the NFL, but yeah, I mean, there are guys out there where all it takes is one good week that snowballs into a couple things and bam, they could be on the PGA tour. Definitely. I mean, look at it just last week with, uh, it was a Connor Casey. I mean, going through. Yeah. Corey, PGA Corey tour Connor. Yeah. Corey Connor. Yeah. Corey I mean, Connor. That, Corey that, Connor. Yeah. yeah. I mean, how crazy is that going from, you know, not being in an event to uh, oh, 10 days later playing in the Masters and making the cut there? Yeah. So um, certainly it can happen. I, and that's where I think you can get, you know, for a guy, you know, whether it's, you know, a mini tour player or on the lower levels of the PGA Tour, I think it's where you need to do it to a point where financially it's not costing you a lot. Because right. that's where you get to, I mean, for me, when I was 25 and UCLA gave me the opportunity to come over here, that's kind of the first time I really had to make a choice where are you going to play full time or do I want to take this opportunity? And it was such a great school and a school that I grew up right around. I knew how good the golf program was and I wanted to spend the time to learn from Coach Freeman that it was just, you know, 
know, almost too good of an opportunity to pass up. And I, you know, was at the Colorado Open when he offered me the job and kind of was there and seeing some of these players being like, you know, do I really want to wait another five years, be 30 or 32 to they kind of figure out what the next step's going to be. Right. Um, and I was lucky to have a great step in the coaching path come my way. And um, certainly, you know, had no, no regrets about it whatsoever and still have the PGA of America and all the SCPGA tournaments by us locally in Southern California that have still given me that nice outlet to be competitive and hopefully try to get into a couple tournaments here and there, but definitely have, you know, fall in love with the coaching route and keeps me, you know, in the golf business and definitely heavily involved in the game. Yeah, no, that's, that's, that's great. And it's funny while you were saying that, I was thinking to myself, you know, Tiger's, uh, re, you know, redemption and Tiger's win at the masters is, is hopefully going to, put more spotlight on the game of golf but then i'm also thinking like for the the guys that are on the web or the guys that are on latin america tour or, or mckenzie or, or anything like that i think Corey connors is actually going to do more for that group of guys than uh than than tiger because they're looking at that guy it's like i could i that could have been me or that can be me no doubt about that. I mean, there's, right. There's going to only be one Tiger Woods. I mean, oh, he's yeah. going to yeah. soon make history here, but there could definitely be, you know, a lot of guys that could now follow that path, go, you know, Monday in and play great. And all of a sudden, who knows you're in the next major. Yeah. So um, definitely going to give some boost and encouragement to those guys without a doubt. And it'll be interesting to see how he does the rest of the season. I think a lot of people, you know, will keep an eye on that, but uh, definitely, you know, pretty cool journey there. And we'll give a lot of those guys motivation to keep working hard on their games, not just in on their tours, but certainly, try to get to the next level yeah you mentioned jumping from uh, you know taking the assistant job at, at ucla um i'm sure there are many differences whether it's facilities or from d3 to d1 i know that the ball is the same size and the hole is the same size but what are some of the differences that you've seen just jumping from d3 to a pac-12 uh, school of ucla as far as coaching yeah i mean you know i think ultimately especially dealing with 18 to 22 year olds i mean the the big problems are the same, right? They're all trying to figure out their lives. You know, you got to make them work a little bit, got to make them get up early. All the little stuff stays the same. I mean, certainly the resources at a place like UCLA sure. compared to a place like Occidental through the roof. Uh, I would say, I mean, the, the big, big difference, you know, with us, I mean, definitely a little bit of the expectations and the pressure. I mean, we're, we're trying to do what we did with Devin, get guys from exceptional junior golfers to professionals um, where in a place like Oxy, it's definitely a little bit more focused on the student athlete experience and making sure that we can use the game of golf to teach them values that are going to enhance their education and enhance everything they do during their time in college. Um, you know, certainly the recruiting side, I think significantly different. I mean, at Oxy, it was kind of, you know, I, I did more than most D3 coaches. I think that's what helped make me a good recruiter to go out and try to actually make kids want to come to Oxy, where a lot of Division three schools maybe settle on who will just show up there. Sure. Um, where at UCLA, I mean, we're trying to compete against other schools for the best players, not just in the U.S., but across the world. Um, so definitely, you know, the time we spend out evaluating recruiting and traveling is, you know, huge at the Division One level. Um, and then definitely, you know, the level of golf that we play with our guys going to, you know, be on TV, to be on the golf channel, um, to help our guys, you know, win the USAM instead of just make an amateur tournament, let alone qualify for the USAM. Um, all of those things really helping the, them define the small aspects of the game, which we all know is, you know, every jump you make in golf, the next level just gets that much harder. So it's teaching these guys to go from good to great 
which is certainly uh it's a fun journey to go through with them, but definitely can be trying at times. Oh, I, yeah, absolutely. Cause they're, they're trying to balance so many different things. And as you said, they're at that age where, I mean, I was at that age uh, an eon ago and I didn't know what the hell I was doing, let alone trying to, you know, go to a big name school. But, um, there's there's a lot of talk about the relationship that you have with Devin and and I'm sure you have it with all the guys on the team. We have a lot of parents that listen to the podcast. A lot of junior players listen to the podcast and you know I've I've they've come to me and asked questions like okay, you know, how how does my junior get ready to play collegiately? And I've asked this question a lot and I I like asking this question to anyone that I think is qualified to answer it, but what are some of the things that you see in you know, sophomores, juniors, seniors in high school that you know they want to play collegially. What are some of the things that you see that would really attract you to a, a potential player? And then what are the things that maybe you see that give you pause, give you concern saying uh, that, that that could be a problem? Um, I think certainly it's, you know, the kids that are going to be proactive about really taking ownership of their entire game and, and their entire development. So, you know, if I have a conversation with a junior golfer and we're talking about what went well or what didn't go well at a tournament, and it's a lot of, you know, the weather was tough. And so I couldn't really shape shots or, um, you know, I'm not really sure what I'm working on in my game right now, or I'm just kind of going to the range and hitting balls. If it's, there's no kind of set plan there, or they're solely reliant on other people to get them to the weight room or a swing coach to put together a practice plan or teach them how to play a golf course. They're not willing to do some of those things on their own. I think that would definitely give me some pause because as much as you know, we can spend time with our guys and we do everything we can to try to help them grow as players. And I'm responsible for helping 12 guys at a time get better. So there's only so much time I can spend with all of them. I think for all junior golfers to put yourself against that next level is huge. We always encourage, you know, whether it's our recruits or our commits to go out and, you know, go play in a PJ tour pre-qualifier or a web.com Monday, jump into, you know, a high level amateur tournament, whether you're a freshman or sophomore in high school or even later. So you can really see what it's like to play against the college kids and how their game's a little bit different. Maybe how they play a golf course differently than you might play it. So to go push yourself to that regard, it gives you a little bit of information in terms of, you know, how far behind I am with these guys, what I need to learn, but certainly will also, you know, show you what it's like to play at the next level. And maybe that their game plan is that much better. The pins are this much more difficult. So I'm going at that pin where he's hitting into the middle of the green. So he has an easy two putt for par. And now I'm short-sighted and really working to just make par, if not make bogey or worse. So definitely, you know, getting them to go out and push themselves at a level they're really uncomfortable at while taking ownership of, you know, this is my swing coach. This is why I swing the club this way. He's not telling me that I have to swing it this way. I think that's a, you know, a big disconnection that gets lost. I want a kid to understand who they are as a player, what makes them good as a player, and then be willing to be coached as opposed to needing to have all that information come from a parent or a coach. Interesting. So now let me ask you this, just without giving you an, a ton of specifics, I know this might be a little bit, uh, you know, uh, might be a little bit difficult, difficult, but if, if you look at a playing resume of a, of a junior and you see, you know, some top 10 finishes in some, you know, regional, maybe state junior tournaments, but then you also see maybe another player who doesn't have a lot of those, but has a lot of, you know, 73s and 74s, you know, missing cuts at, at qualifiers for USGA web.com. Are, you're, you're more intrigued. Are you more intrigued with a guy, a kid like that over this kind of the big fish in the small pond in, in the junior circuit? 
you know, I think it would definitely be worth a look. I mean, you know, one thing we do, you know, with all of the kids that we're interested in is we're going to spend in, we're going to spend time in person evaluating them because scores can certainly tell a lot of things, but you're you can put, like you said, I mean, you can find kids that are only going to play local stuff on easy courses where they know they can beat up the course and beat up other kids and dominate. Right. And, you know, like we've all seen, I mean, as great as a 68 is in the game of golf, not all 68s are created equal. Right. So I would certainly rather see a kid go out and push himself. And, you know, if he's willing to go out there and have some decent success at high level amateur tournaments, you know, or, you know, maybe go shoots one under a prequal, but still misses it. That's pretty solid. I, you know, I have a good sample to compare that kid to an active college player, which is an easier, you know, comparison for me to make maybe across the board on, on uh, a 10th grader versus a 10th grader. So I think, you know, it's definitely, he's a kid that uh, would definitely trigger, you know, our interest and we would definitely try to spend some time out on the course evaluating, you know, how he might play and what his skill looks like. And certainly we're trying to project what that kid's going to be when he gets to college, as opposed to what he simply is now. Yeah, no, that's, that's, that's perfect. I was, I was very curious about that when you mentioned that you see the value in really pushing themselves and getting outside their comfort zone. So that's, that's excellent advice for a junior that wants to get themselves acclimated to what it's gonna be like in college. Uh, speaking about one of your players, you know, uh, lots been reported about your relationship with Devin Bling, as I stated, when did you first meet Devin Bling? I first met Devin um, at junior players. Um, I want to say going into his senior year of high school. So, uh, you know, he was committed to UCLA uh, when I was hired. So he was already there. And, you know, I spent the next two years of his high school, his junior and senior year, kind of finishing up the recruiting process, you know, making sure, obviously, you know, stays committed to the school, checking in on him, making sure his development's going well. The first time in person that we met was, uh, would have been junior players going into his senior year. And then he came, you know, on another official visit trip to come to a football game with some of our other commits uh, in his class and get to know the guys. Um, and that's kind of where I think it really all started with us. And, you know, I definitely have a really close relationship, not just with him, but certainly with, um, you know, the entire team and with kids like Devin, I mean, you know, like I have with, you know, one of his teammates, Cole or Hide or uh, Sean in the freshman class this year, you know, there are always those kids you're going to spend a lot of time with, whether they make the travel team, you're going to walk with them. Certainly, you know, spending an entire week last year at the USAM with him was definitely different than, you know, with other of his players. But, you know, I think we see the game of golf very similarly and we have a lot of, you know, mutual interests um, there. So I think it's, you know, been a, a good relationship for us to get on the golf course and work together and certainly, you know, be in a good place off the golf course as well. When you go to the USAM, you, you went last year to the USAM where it's his first USAM, it's at Pebble Beach and you're going to be on the bag. I'm curious, do you kind of take your coaching hat off and, and kind of work more as a caddy or describe the relationship? Is it the same when you're on campus or do you guys both kind of maybe get into a different mode? Or do you even really think about it? No, I think it takes a little bit of a different mode. I mean, you know, I, it was definitely a mixed bag, I think at the end last year, because, you know, by chance, um, you know, I, I do with all of my players, anyone that ever qualifies for the AM, I give them the opportunity. I always ask our guys, you know, do you want me to caddy and kind of on a first come first serve basis? And he was our first guy to qualify last summer. And very much like I did with one of his teammates, Cole Mady at Riviera the year before it was our first. And he jumped on the opportunity, wanted me to come, but I kind of, I actually mixed up the dates. Um, and I had to go back to him and tell him, Hey, I'm actually already scheduled to be in Las Vegas for Saturday, Sunday, Monday. 
um, and I would have to miss the practice rounds in your first round of stroke play. If that's fine, and he kind of said yes, I mean, I've spent a lot of time at Pebble and Spyglass, so luckily I knew the course as well. Um, but that was kind of, you know, the funny thing on my end, because I, I botched the dates, and then, you know, <laughs> for any West Coast people coming out, it's nearly impossible to fly easily from Vegas to Monterey. Sure. So instead of flying, I just, I drove the nine hours after I finished in Vegas. Oh, wow. And, um, yeah, during those nine hours, you know, we spent a pretty good, about an hour and a half talking about, how the golf course were playing in the practice round and then how his first round went at uh, Pebble that day where he didn't play all that well. So definitely the coaching had stayed on there because I wanted to make sure, you know, he had a good sense of what he had to do the next day, but how we could make the, the you know, the easy adjustments during that time. And then also kind of give him the reflection of he was in the exact same situation after round one as his teammate Cole was the year before, where he struggled on maybe the easier of the two courses in stroke play. But all you really have to do then is, you know, go shoot two, three under and you walk into to match play. So give him context where it doesn't need to be 66. You don't have to try to go press. Just go play a nice, simple round of golf. You could go shoot a couple under and you're right in. And then when we get onto the golf course, certainly for it, it's where we have a pretty defined game plan, but it's really more of keeping him in check in terms of here's our game plan. Here's what we're trying to execute and then keep everything in perspective throughout the week. You know, we don't need to worry about your golf swing. If you miss one, we don't need to talk about a putting stroke. If you miss a putt, let's keep it in context for what it is and then kind of move forward with what we're trying to execute out there. And he did a great job of it. I mean, you know, he, he only made one mistake during that first round or that second round of stroke play. When I was with him, he got to maybe four under and then missed for the first time, short sided on 16, dumped it in the bunker, plugged, made double from that and could have gotten a little tentative, but we kind of reset it. Just kind of like, look, you only need one birdie coming home and he birdied 17 from about eight feet, gave himself a great look on 18. And we kind of, you know, thought he was going to be exactly where he needed to. So certainly once we get onto the golf course, um, you know, it's more about the game plan and trying to keep everything in check. And that, you know, the afternoons and stuff in between match play rounds, then if we need to talk about mechanics or clean things up a little bit, throw the coaching hat more on directly, do what we need to there and then uh, get back on the golf course and simply play golf. What, uh, you know, you guys spent a lot of time together. I'm sure you spent a lot of time together when you guys are on campus and traveling to tournaments, but an entire week with, with him and, and no other, no, really no other players. What's it like in the downtime? Are you guys hanging out or are you guys kind of going your separate ways? Um, you know, what, what do you do to, are you trying to keep them relaxed or, or kind of what, what's, what's the downtime like during, during the biggest amateur tournament in the world? Yeah, it was definitely a little bit of both. Um, certainly once we got to match play, things just the scheduling of it becomes so crazy that there really isn't all that much downtime. I mean, once you get past around a 64 and you're playing 36, so you, you might have some lunch in between. So, you know, we would just, you know, watch some TV, eat lunch, get out to the next match, finish that match. You know, we would, I would go to dinner with him and his parents or him and his dad and his brother, and then, you know, move on to the next match the next day. And for the most part, I mean, you know, there wasn't that much free time, which I think really worked in his, his favor. We didn't have that much time to kind of think about everything that was happening. Um, certainly until the only day we had a lot of free downtime was once he had finished the semifinal match because they play that early in the morning. We finish and then you don't play the next match almost until, you know, late morning, early afternoon um, or the early morning to start the final. So you have that entire afternoon for the most part to think about it, but certainly spent some time together, really just hang out. He had more and more family coming in each day, which kind of made it fun to kind of meet new people and his family. I had it kind of talk about how the whole thing was working and going through it. And then his teammates started to come up. So, you know, we just had more people around. So nice. it really wasn't really, really fun 
fun environment. Um, you know, certainly, you know, I think we did everything we could, at least on my end, to make sure that no one was talking about what could happen if he got to the final as things, especially once we got about to the round of eight, um, you know, I was texting his teammates being like, you know, no one mentioned that if we're in the semifinal, there's a master's exemption on the line. We don't need to know those things. Cause I honestly, I never came up in his mind and never came up in a conversation with us. Same with his dad and his brother. Um, it was really not a thought until we made the final. He, and he then meant, I kind of yeah, reminded him. Yeah. I mean, he mentioned that when, when I had him on a couple of weeks ago in, in the episode, I'm thinking of my, because in my mind, I'm thinking, look, I don't care if, if you put, if you steal his cell phone and don't let him on the internet. Um, I'm assuming that, that everyone in those shoes, I mean, that has to be the toughest match in amateur golf. The, the, the semifinal match, of the USAM because you know what's on the other end. And then he totally shocked me by saying, I put it out of my mind. I forgot about it. And then you reminded him as you guys were coming off 18 after you, you know, beat Celinda, you're like, Hey, we're, we're the masters of the U S open. Okay. Great that he had it out of his mind. What about you? What was that round like catting for him? Cause it went to the 18th hole. It was a fantastic match. Were you just a wreck? No, honestly, I mean, I think it worked out as good as it could could go because I you know I know Isaiah obviously very well through Stanford and then uh, just by chance Isaiah's caddy um, was a former Stanford player named Bradley Knox who I actually knew very well because I coached and played against his older brother when I was at Oxy both as a player and then as a coach so I knew Bradley really well so just the environment of the match was very comfortable for all of us. So even though there was something huge on the line, I think, you know, we were just out there kind of playing golf and having fun. And I, I'm honestly not a hundred percent sure that Devin knew what happened if he made the final. Oh, really? Because it, it never came up a hundred percent. And if his dad knew and did research about it, it, it was never a point, a talking point during a single warm up, a single match, a single dinner, anytime. Um, and I knew the media, everyone obviously tell him once he made the finals. So that was the first time that I told him once it was done. Cause I knew that obviously it would be a point of talking that afternoon, but for the most part, I, I don't know if he did. And uh, I think that's a huge resource for him because he obviously, you know, it's a big distraction. He can leave out and then, you know, certainly getting a very comfortable match like that in the semifinal with a really good kid and certainly a great player in Isaiah and, you know, another kid that we're both comfortable with and Bradley on the bag for him uh, definitely worked out in both of our interests. Yeah, absolutely. I, I, I can't fathom that he would, I mean, I completely believe you. And that's great that it went down like that, but I just, I can't imagine anyone can really go into that match, not knowing that, but uh, that's great that he got through it. So you're off to the masters at any point. So when did it become a reality that you were going to be on the bag for him? Cause um, you know, you mentioned that, you know, spyglass, you know, Pebble beach very well, but have you ever, have you ever been to Augusta national? What was the discussion to, to have you on the back? Yes, we by chance had taken the team to Augusta last year for the Masters. So when Kevin Chapel and uh, Patrick Cantley are both yeah. in it, we played Augusta State's event. And as part of their event, that every team that plays gets Monday tickets for the practice round. And since both Kevin and Patrick were in there, Kevin was kind enough to you know, let the guys come in the ropes on 11 and take a picture and kind of show them around the course. So that was the only time before um, you going with a prep trip to Devon that I had been on property and seen the whole thing in person. But, you know, for us, it was, you know, really uh, Devin, myself and Coach Freeman kind of meeting throughout the fall and kind of figuring out how our scheduling was going to work because we had, you know, not just to make the decision on who was going to be with Devin, what would put him in the best environment, but certainly then, you know, potentially 
if I did it and went with him, we're losing one of our two coaches for two events in an entire week in Arizona. Um, so it was kind of, you know, finding that balance and figuring it out. And I think, you know, once we got to a place where, you know, I, Devin kind of made it clear that at least from a comfort standpoint with what the environment was going to be, that from keeping him calm and knowing his game, that he would be most comfortable with me there. And the team had gotten to a point where, you know, I thought we as a coaching staff were, you know, pretty happy and confident with them being pretty self-reliant to be able to do it without needing their hands held as much. I think it became, you know, a pretty obvious decision to have me go with him. And then it was really figuring out how we were going to, you know, put him in a place and myself to learn the golf course as well as possible. So it was, you know, we got a great local caddy for both of his trips. We had two different ones. Um, the caddy that I spent time with um, during his second prep trip in March did a phenomenal job on really helping us learn the golf course and then using other resources around. I talked to, you know, probably four or five other swing coaches that had players play in previous masters get their yardage books get notes from them certainly other players as well um, you know we both spent a day with Corey Pavin picking his brain about the golf course and how to prep for the week and everything we could there and you know, he was a huge resource as well so it was really doing as much homework as possible and um, definitely you know I studied this golf course maybe more intently than I have you know really every any golf course that we've had to play at UCLA maybe with the exception of Carson Creek for nationals last year with um I, I know it's you know high Hindsight 2020, you know, he had a fantastic experience, uh, you know, played the par three, makes an ace on the par three, which is just incredible. Um, you know, he makes the cut, plays all four rounds. But was there ever a time where you were thinking to yourself, I know you want me on the bag and because, you you know, I'm your coach and you're going to be comfortable with me, but I just don't know this place well enough. And I, I was there ever a moment where you're thinking like, you know, he really needs to have an Augusta caddy on the bag? Oh, that's a good question. Um, you know, certainly we had a couple days where, you know, like the wind really started to pick up for one of our practice round days and like 11 and 12 things started to get a little hectic and then, you know, really making that decision on club, um, for the most part, you know, became a little bit harder. So maybe somewhere there, but honestly, for the most part, you know, I thought I had a pretty good sense of the golf course, but I definitely thought I had a better sense of his game. Okay. So more than anything else, you know, I thought that was really what was going to be critical for him is, you know, knowing the golf course there is obviously massive, but for him and his strengths and weaknesses, because he wants to be a swashbuckler and do the impossible and all of that, <laughs> but being able to, you know, tell him like, maybe not the time or place. Like we don't need to shoot for the left pin on 15 at Augusta, even though maybe you can do it. Let's hit it out. Right. Maybe use a slope. If it stays out there, you can hit the putt knowing that I could help him manage himself around that property. Um, I think ultimately became more valuable than, you know, every little detail we might've been able to pick up from being there. Cause as you know, I'm sure past master's champions would tell you, I mean, every time you go there, I'm sure there's more and more you can learn. Oh, so yeah. Um, we'll continue to learn stuff, but we did some pretty good homework. We had a pretty good idea of everything, but I think certainly, you know, helping him create a game plan that was best for him was going to be really the biggest key to him succeeding. So you get to Augusta national, um, you've, you've been there before, as you said, by the way, just so you know, I probably have a semester of eligibility left. So if you would like to put me on the team for next year, that way I can go along with you. That way I can get Monday tickets to the masters and just throwing it out there. It is an option. And, um, probably would have some struggles academically but we'll we'll forget about that that's not that's not details you don't need that um if we if we go back to augusta state's event i'll keep that in mind i don't think we're planning on it for now but okay um you know certainly if we are especially being down 
in your part of the country, we could always use a little Bermuda experience. I, so uh, yeah, I'll and, definitely keep it in mind. And, you know, what D1 Pac-12 powerhouse wouldn't benefit from a 42-year-old transfer student? That's, I mean, really. I mean, that's really what you're needing <laughs> right now. Um, but but you, you spend a week, you know, you spend a week at Augusta National, and, and I, I could ask you the cliche of, like, what was the most surprising thing that you, you saw or you experienced, but I, I wanted to ask you about um, being a kind of a professional caddy for the week. You're around these professional caddies, whether it's, you know, Paul Tesori on the bag for Webb Simpson, Joe LaCava for Tiger, you know, Fanny Sinison is there with, with Stenson. You're in their environment for the week. Was What was your experience just being one of the caddies at arguably the biggest tournament in the world? It was, it was awesome. I mean, first off, I, I thought it was the, the hospitality of the members in the golf club were exceptional. And every player that Devin had a chance to interact with would not just share knowledge with him, but were more than willing to talk to me as well. And I okay. thought that fraternity of players was awesome, whether it's them and the caddies as well, um, was really helpful and, and really, really great experience. I definitely think for me, caddy wise, the biggest thing that surprised me was just kind of how fast, you know, everything moves in terms of, you know, he's got the shot, you got to be on the next one. And, um, you know, everyone plays relatively quick, even though we had one slow round, but, you know, definitely difference from being a player to a caddy, just kind of everything seemed to move a little faster where, you know, got to get on the next club and fill the divot and go ahead and get the pin and clean his ball and maybe clean another player's ball. Um, certainly things seem to move a little bit faster than they you know are when I'm a player. Yeah, I, I I thought about it. so there was no like caddy hazing. No one went behind you and took his took the nameplate off the back of your jumpsuit and put it on upside down or anything. I mean, it was all on the up and up, is what you're saying. Yeah, yeah, no, they were all great to us certainly, and um, you know, I think it's a pretty cool one. I and mean, I obviously don't know how it is for every other event, but you know, for the caddy house is at Augusta national relative to the tournament range, all the players are in there too. So you're not just having all the caddies together, you got them with all the players as well. And just thought it made for, you know, a great environment, um, you know, where everyone was pretty open and honest to sharing everything and no one really kind of, you know, gave us a bad look or anything with anything we had going on that week. (laughs) Nice. Um, So, yeah. And I, I think I remember uh, reading somewhere where you had to, someone had to kind of push him to go introduce himself to tiger. Yeah, it, uh, he was nervous about it for sure. But, uh, both, you know, myself and his swing coach, Chris Mason, who joined us for the first half of the week, um, you know, as we were leaving, you know, for Wednesday, we were done with our practice session, getting him ready for the par three tigers on the right side of the range. And we we're going to walk right past him. And it's, you know, one of those experiences, if you're an amateur there, you have to do it. And, yeah. um, you know, we kind of had to push him in to do it a little bit. I would say the, the two biggest things that maybe him and his family were nervous of were, you know, pushing Devin to go meet tiger and then trying to convince his brother during the par three to hit the ball on nine. Um, you know, really didn't want to do it. They were very apprehensive and nervous about it, but it's one of those things like, look, he's not going to be mean to you. He's super honest and open about everything. And uh, Tiger was amazingly nice to him, told him he had watched him at the AM, which gave him a huge boost. Oh, God, and then uh, you awesome. know, I think the, the biggest thrill for Devin, which we have two of the biggest Tiger Wood fans in the world in, in the senior class that he plays with here at UCLA that uh, on Sunday, while we were warming up and going through our putting routine, um, you know, kind of cross paths with Tiger as he was early into his warm up and, you know, hit Devin's balls back to him and told him, Hey, you're playing great kid. Good luck the rest of the week. And, um, Devin got a huge thrill out of that to see Tiger talking to him in his Sunday red, <laughs> oh. obviously right before he won, I think something that he'll never forget. Oh yeah. I mean, of all the, I mean, that's just such an incredible memory that you're going to have and that Devin's going to have just for the rest of your life. I mean, I, you were, you were there. I mean, you were there at that masters of all the masters to, to, 
to get to play in. Um, you know, you, you go off, you make the cut. And, and of course, so I wanted to ask you this. You made the cut on the number. And I was watching Friday and I was watching with some friends and, you know, they're they're just paying attention to who's in the lead. And they're I think they're looking at that point. Let's see. So Adam Scott and Kepka and, uh, you know, I know that uh, Molinari is up there and, and Tiger, of course, is nearby. But I'm looking at the scores and I know that he's at plus three. And I think if I remember correctly, the last real chance to bump out the plus threes was Adam Scott's birdie putt on 18, which I believe was just kind of like a 15 foot downhill or something like that. Um, Where were you guys at that point? Were you still on property or were you back at a house watching it on TV or did you not want to know about it? Um, Or were you with, were you even with Devin? No, we split up. We, we tried to stay, you know, we grabbed lunch after we finished uh, and then we tried to watch in about 40 minutes of it and, you know, kind of realized like this is going to be a super long afternoon. Right. Um, so he went home and kind of hung out with his family there. And I, I originally was at the hotel um, where I was staying just watching. We were kind of texting back and forth as players were making a move and making a run. But I kind of got so na- nervous and anxious. that I actually called the coach at Augusta State and asked him if I could hit balls at his facility because I didn't want to watch any of it. I, I was too nervous to keep going through it. And the first time I actually popped back in to watch any of it was, uh, when Adam Scott was on 16. Okay. So, um, obviously, you know, not a great moment for Adam, but it was crazy for us and kind of caught us both off guard. Devin immediately called me after that. And then, yeah, when Adam missed that putt on, um, 18, it was huge. And then the only other real charge coming up, which I think Devin was a little apprehensive about, maybe being the person to knock him out was Tiger who started to charge pretty hard in that back nine and had a pretty good look on uh, either 16 or 17 to get to eight right. and missed it. And then he originally texted me being like, my idol is going to be the guy that knocks me out of the cut of the masters. <laughs> um, so once Tiger put it in the bunker on 18, you know, um, or just missed the green, you know, we felt pretty good about the whole thing. Sure. And, um, we're through the roof about it. We, we were actually tied with, Martin Timer at that same score and ended up playing with him, not just the first two days, but also on Saturday. Um, and I think he was kind of in the same boat and Devin joked with him the next morning being like, yeah, like that was the longest afternoon of my life. And Kyber was like, yeah, what about me? Like, yeah, it was for me too. <laughs> um, so, you know, he was really funny about that, but certainly it was, uh, it was well worth the wait, but a very long wait at that. Of course. Now you, you, one of the most unique things about this masters, not just, you know, not just tiger winning after, you know, a, a major championship drought for 11 years, but this is the first time, you know, due to the weather and due to everything that was happening, that it was split tees on Sunday and they moved the tee times up to the morning to kind of beat this storm. So you went off 10, you know, you make the turn to then tee off one. How different and odd was that? To, to just play the course in reverse and also play it that early and have such a quick turnaround. Yeah, it definitely created the whole thing became very different because even when we got to, you know, an iconic hole, like 12, there were definitely people there that, you know, had been there for a while and were getting ready for the afternoon, but it was still relatively quiet and there weren't that many people there in general. And then when we got to the back nine, uh, you know, we were playing with defending champion Patrick Reed. So, you you know, I still expect maybe there'd be a gallery or, you know, a good group watching him. And we were playing with uh, Keith Mitchell, another Georgia guy. So we figured we'd have good support. But all of a sudden, you know, by the time we got to, I want to say six, 
it was a ghost town. Like we could see everyone that had come to six had, you know, moved their way over to, you know, 16 green, which is right by there. Um, and then when we got back, it was a really funny moment kind of wish almost I could take a picture of it. When we got to eight green, he had a phenomenal drive, went forward in two and put himself in a great spot. We got to eight, eight green and we could start really hearing the roars. We knew where Tiger was from that. And then uh, actually walking up that hole, you know, go to UCLA moment for us was when Patrick Cantley made Eagle on 15 yeah, yeah. and we could hear a crazy roar. And then we saw the scoreboard change. So certainly cool to, you know, have a Bruin in contention while we were there, but the only people on the hole at eight, were the 12 members of Devin's family and they were the only people sitting in the entire bleachers on eight. So uh, even Patrick Reed kind of joked being like, this is way quieter than the worst practice round time you could choose. I, I was just um, going to say, it's like it, all of a sudden a, like a, a, uh, a throwaway junior tournament broke out at Augusta national or something where just, you know, some nice kid and his family are just walking around watching him play golf. And Oh, by the way, you're at Augusta national. Exactly. But, um, you know, I think obviously it lost a little bit of the allure what Sunday should be for anyone that makes the cut at the right. Masters. Yeah. But um, it was unique, to say the least. And sure. Devin had an unbelievably unique week to make a hole in one and then be one of four amps to make the cut. Um, certainly, you know, as much as, yeah, maybe you miss, you know, some of the roars that you could get as well on Sunday. It's something that, you know, he'll be a part of maybe one of the only masters ever to do something like that. And being something that unique and with that much history, uh, something that he'll never forget. Certainly. You know, you just kind of glossed over, but again, uh, just an incredible memory. He plays in his first masters and he plays Sunday with the defending champion. Tell me about the experience with Patrick Reed. Um, you know, we, he was a huge gentleman the whole day. And I thought one of the best moments that I think we really appreciated from Patrick, um, was, you know, Devin got off to a rough start in that final round, made bogey, bogey, bogey. And when we were walking, you know, hit a phenomenal tee shot for the, really the first time all week on 13 and Patrick kind of, you know, gave him a little finger waggle to come run up ahead and kind of, you know, just put his arm around him as like, Hey dude, like. You look a little nervous, but it, it's Masters Sunday, dude. You're on the back nine of Augusta on a Sunday at Masters. Like, have fun with it. Just have a deep breath. And for him to go out of his way to do that for Devin, um, going, you know, trying to move up the leaderboard himself, sure. definitely I thought, you know, it was a, a great representation of, you know, who he is as a champion for Augusta National. And it was something that, you know, was a, was a big moment for Devin to kind of take a deep breath and play, you know, play the rest of the round in, in 200 par. So did a, you know, a great job to work himself back after that. You've gotten back from the Masters. You're trying to get back to real life a little bit, and you know you got your team to take care of. But you're also playing quite a bit as well. You're not just, you know, uh, uh, an Augusta National caddy and a U.S. Amateur caddy and, a, and an assistant coach at UCLA. So tell me a little bit about what you're doing with your playing career, um, what you're getting ready for right now. Yeah, no, definitely. The, the month of April has become very unique for me now, not just with. You know, obviously, you know, we can't forecast out getting to be on the back for Devin, <clears throat> for Devin at the USAM. And then, um, you know, I qualified for through our section championship back into the PGA National Club Pro, which the top 20 from that gets into the PGA championship. And with the reshuffle of the majors now with the PGA championship moving to May, that event, which used to be in June, now comes up to April as well. So um, I'll be in Los Angeles for four days in the month of April. Um, three of those days are right now. I'm just back from Augusta right before I actually recruit before I go up to Eugene. And then we'll meet the team in Eugene for Pac-12s and then fly straight from there to South Carolina at Belfair to play the PGA Club Pro. So it's a lot of, 
you know, fitting in some extra practice when I can. I'm, I'm hopefully going to, if I can get away from the team, you know, for a couple nights, um, you know, at Eugene, you know, hit a couple balls, find a, a lit range and get in some work there. And then hopefully, you know, do some putting in my room and keep myself in as good a shape as I can to, uh, you know, make another good run at the club pro here in a few weeks. So it'll be a busy time and then, you know, get back to May start prepping for regionals and I always go with a couple of our players to play uh you know local qualifying for the US Open as well so that'll come around here pretty early in uh, in May for us right before regionals who is the player on your team that you would want to caddy for you right now ooh oh great question um I would probably go with Cole Mady cuz we played the most golf together and he, he knows my game pretty well um and, you know, we, he's been here for four years with me for his entire career. So I think, you know, he would be a good one. I did kind of mention to Devin, if I get into uh, the PGA Championship and play well at the Club Pro, that if, you know, if he doesn't have class, he might come out for that as well, since I'll actually have to go directly from regionals to the first round. So I won't play any practice rounds um, at Beth Page Black. If I made it, I would just go straight in the first round since, you know, the team is certainly the priority and we got to get them to the national championship. Sure. And the, the Wednesday of regionals is the day before the first round of the PGA championship. Um, so if we could swing it, I think it'd be kind of unique to, you know, be on the bag for majors one and three of the year with Devin and have him on the bag for number two. That would be, uh, that would be incredible. And, and, and of course, you know, you would have to haze him a little bit. I mean, you throw a couple of rocks in your bag if he's looping for you. Right. I mean, you know, he can, no. Okay. Sorry. I would hope, I would hope he's a, I would say he's in maybe a little better shape than me. They are in the gym a little bit more as of right now, but he definitely was kind enough to make his bag pretty light for me at Augusta. So, nice. um, I might have to return the favor for that. Um, before I let you go, I asked, um, you know, I asked Devin this question, um, it is involving one of your other players, you know, through my research for, for his episode, um, you know, just looking at social media, looking at some of the noticeable guys in your team, and I'm not even talking about what they do on the golf course, but can you, um, I'm not sure if he's ever going to be a guest here. I would, I would love to talk to him, but can you maybe share a story of the phenomenon of Eddie lie for me? Oh, absolutely. And we could definitely set it up for him to be a guest for you. He would, I, I, he would he, love it. He's getting a, he's getting stories. a cult sensation because I just, I get the feeling that that is the, 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 the marketing superstar of UCLA men's golf right now. A hundred percent without a doubt. I mean, we, we started a hashtag for him uh, last either last year, right before our golf camp or during the golf camp, the legend of Eddie lie after any post we put up of him. I mean, Eddie is, you know, he works harder than anyone else on the team. He's an unbelievable teammate and a great leader for us, but he's just the funniest, most open guy you could ever imagine. He's, he's willing to, you know, just do whatever it takes to pump his teammates up and really get them going. And, um, you know, as funny as a lot of the stuff on social media has been just with him with during the team interaction for me as a coach and Devin was actually a part of it last year as well. They were both as just finishing their freshman year camp counselors at our summer camp and Eddie became a 10 year old. Oh, I mean, God. relived his childhood <laughs> through these kids. And I mean, it was just the, un we had to rein him back with a lot of these kids allotted, but like, you're the one supposed to be keeping them in check and you're the one leading all the, the crap right now. And like getting these kids wild and crazy when we're trying to calm them down so they can hit balls. Um, and he's, he's just such a fun loving kid, man. And he just, all of it's just natural too. You know, there's never any scripted, right. nothing we ever really put up of him is like, we're telling him to do something. It's all the candid videos we catch of it. And, um, you know, he's really the, the emotional heart and soul of this team definitely keeps us in a great light work ethic wise, as well as just in great spirits going into every event. 
That is going to have to be a special uh, a special bonus episode at the back of the range. I, I need to experience the legend of Eddie Lye at some point. But actually, since we're going to be teammates next year at Augusta State, I'll have a lot of free time to spend with him since I'm going to be your new transfer. So really, you know, it doesn't need to even be on the phone. We'll just do it at Augusta. So that's perfect. Yeah, we'll just make you guys roommates. You make it just a nice live episode. No problem. We can get that done. <laughs> um, well, Coach, uh, I really do appreciate the time. I know you are... I know it has been a whirlwind of a, of a week for you just coming back from Augusta, but I appreciate you spending time with us here at the back of the range. Really great insight into, you know, what the, your team is getting ready to do and your experience at Augusta National with Devin Bling. All the best to you this season. All the best to you at the U.S. Open with Devin. And hopefully he is on the bag for you at the PGA Championship. So, again, I appreciate you joining me here at the back of the range. Thank you. Yeah, really appreciating you having me and uh, Devin last week and uh, certainly go Bruins going into the postseason. And there you have it, another great episode here at the back of the range. Thanks so much to Coach Larkin of UCLA for joining us this week. Really appreciate his time. Don't forget, follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Go to thebackoftherange.com for all of the information on this podcast. And we'll see you again next week for another episode here at the Back of the Range.